Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, I think, I think we've all had to do business with people who were, who were excellent at following the rules, but in the execution of those rules, they lacked wisdom. I think certain businesses and agencies perhaps come to mind uh, for being notorious for that sort of behavior. Uh, certain tasks, you know, when you have to go do those tasks, you just go ahead and anticipate that it's going to be miserable. Uh, right? I mean, you, you know it's coming, and so, so you don't go in expecting much. You just go in expecting it to be terrible, and then when it's slightly better than terrible, you actually walk away somewhat pleased. And, and you, you think about like going to the tag office or, or going to get your driver's license renewed. Those are, those are the sorts of things where if you work for the tag office or the DMV or whatever, uh, you're an exception to the rule. Just know that. I, I don't mean to, to offend but you know that you're going to go in and it's going to be, it's going to be like going to the dentist and having a root canal without anesthesia. You just anticipate that it's going to be bad. Now, now honestly, in this little, this little haven that we call Northwest Georgia, it's not as bad as it is in other places. For example, when, when we first went to seminary, someone sold us a car for a dollar. And that's the way that you can, you can kind of, you know, you get a car, they want to give it to you, but you, you get a bill of sale and all that kind of stuff. And so we went to the tag office in Birmingham, Alabama. And I'll tell you that it was an experience that, that I'll never, ever forget. We went to the tag office, we had title in hand, we had the bill of sale, everything we needed to get a tag for this car. And after waiting in line for, it was literally forever, some morning I wake up in the middle of the night and feel like I'm still in line there. Uh, I had a very, very pregnant wife with me, and we were standing in this terrible line forever in this sea of humanity. It was like Ellis Island trying to get into the United States for the very first time. And we get to the counter, and the clerk begins to inspect the paperwork. Again, you have every confidence that this clerk knew the rules, but she lacked something very important. On the back of the title, she looked, and that's where all the signatures go, right? If you've ever sold a car, you know the title's on the back, and everybody's got a sign, and everything needs to be right, and all that sort of stuff. And she saw that there was a fatal, catastrophic flaw in our paperwork. I can't believe we let something so monumental go unnoticed. The person who sold us the car for a dollar signed their name with their middle initial, and the title did not have their middle initial. In order to get the car tag, we had to drive two hours back to the state of Georgia with an affidavit in hand to correct the error on the title. All because of an extra letter in a signature that included a middle initial. Now, I'm sure that that day in that office, in that terrible hell-like location in Birmingham, 
that all the rules were being followed. But on that day, wisdom was anywhere but close to being followed in the Jefferson County Tag Office. Now, I'm sure we all have stories like that that we've collected throughout our years, throughout our days, where we've had to deal with somebody who followed all the rules, but did it in a way that made everyone involved absolutely, catastrophically miserable. You know, when it comes to the Christian faith, we understand that there's a lot of rules baked into the cake. We know there's things that we ought not do. We know there's things that we ought to do. We know that there are certain rules that are written down. And I'm only talking about the written rules that we read from Scripture, not all the assumed rules that we bring to the table throughout our life. There's a lot of expectations that go along with being a Christian. However, if being, if being a Christian is nothing more than making sure that we've checked all the boxes then I think that we've really and truly missed the joy that goes along with actually following Jesus. Now, not only does it cause us to miss the joy, it also leaves a bad taste in the mouth of those we encounter. And I think we've all heard this criticism before, that that, that, that legalism, that, that version of Christianity that's all about following the rules really isn't a very compelling gospel to offer people who have never heard it before. So as we continue this journey into Proverbs, we need to understand how, how wisdom actually brings joy to following the rules, and how true faith in Jesus is actually made attractive to those on the outside. So let's jump in today, continuing in the book of Proverbs, the first chapter, and I would ask you to stand as we read these words in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, and let those who go down to the pit. Uh, we, we shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us, and we will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. God, thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs. May, Lord, we find it to be something that we seek after and crave today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, we ended in verse 7 of chapter 1, which distilled the theme of the entire book of Proverbs by reminding us that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. And that reminds us that wisdom is both a doorway and a pathway. 
It is the door in which our, our faith truly begins. We begin with the fear of the Lord, but we also understand that it carries us through our daily lives. Wisdom helps us deal with the gray areas. Wisdom helps us to deal with those, those things that, are, that are, are, are sometimes challenging for us. Wisdom helps us make decisions on a daily basis. When we consider King Solomon, the one who wrote the book of Proverbs, we recognize the doorway. God came to him and said, what is it you want? And Solomon humbly asked for wisdom. He said, I don't have what it takes to lead these people. So grant me wisdom that I have the means to lead these people. And so there was that doorway where Solomon heard from the Lord and the Lord granted him wisdom. But we also understand that Solomon walked a pathway of wisdom. It wasn't that he, he figured it out that day, that it was once and done, and then he knew everything that needed to be done. It wasn't like he had a, a superpower that he suddenly possessed all the wisdom of the world. He, he had the means to learn, the means to grow, the means to, to gain in his wisdom. And we know that he grew in understanding as he continued his journey with the Lord. He put all that wisdom to work, and he expanded upon his father David's success. But we also know where Solomon's life went off the rails. He didn't listen to the voice of wisdom for his entire life. And the voice of folly managed to creep in at some point in his life. And so this really does set the stage for the rest of the book of Proverbs. We, we need that initial infusion of wisdom as we, as we come to the Lord, but then we need to daily learn to walk in wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It gets us on the pathway, through the door, and on the journey. And we need daily to invest in our growth in wisdom by our study of the Scriptures and by listening to the wisdom of those who have traveled further down the pathway than we have. And that daily process then continues to grow on the basis of our ongoing fear and reverence for the Lord. And so verse 7 sets up this conflict that will carry on for the rest of the book of Proverbs. This conflict between wisdom and folly. Both of them are crying out for our attention. However, we know that wisdom is the better path. We don't want to be like the fools that, that hate wisdom there in verse 7. So we want to continue down the pathway this morning, and from our passage today, there's three big ideas that I want us to consider. First, we need to consider the attraction of wisdom from verses 8 and 9. You know, the interesting thing about Proverbs here is that there's oftentimes layers to the wisdom that is expressed therein. Uh, we look at verse 8, and we recognize that there's a surface layer meaning there. And Spencer talked about that with the children. It's a great surface layer meaning for children who are learning what it means to grow in wisdom. The, the first place a child learns wisdom is from his mother and from his father. Uh, you don't have to dig deep here. You don't have to ponder the mysteries of the universe. It's as plain as the fifth commandment. Children, you ought to listen to your parents. Uh, that's absolutely true. Now, I, I understand that during the teenage years that parents actually lose their minds. And nothing that parents say is right at all. But when they get into their 20s, then parents become brilliant again. It happens. I don't know what the, why the universe is oriented that way, but I can promise you if you're a teenager right now that when you get into your 20s, your parents will be the smartest people that you know. So absolutely, yes, kids, you ought to listen to your parents. And again, we don't have to dig deep to find that. It's right there on the surface. It's low-hanging fruit, as we might say. But if we dig deep for just a little bit, 
we'll find that this simple instruction that's given to us here has meaning beyond even the children's sermon. Because we understand verse 8 was written from the perspective of a father to his son. So dig a little deeper and we find that, that it's actually God here who is addressing us as his children. So it's not just our parents' instruction and teaching that we should pay attention to. God is actually speaking to us here. These instructions that we should pay attention to are actually coming from the Lord. And what God is doing is He is telling us what the world around us really is like. You know, the great thing about wisdom is it's not a fantasy world. It's how the world really, truly is. And wisdom tells us that we really need to deal with the real world around us. I understand that in today's day and time that it's in vogue to, to live in a fantasy land where, where we don't have to engage in the, in the truth that's around us. Wisdom, however, doesn't permit that. Wisdom engages the world where it really is. It's not fantasy. It's not wishful thinking. It's not conspiracies or feelings. This is the way it is, and it's not the way that we want it to be. Wisdom demands that we pay attention to reality and not construct our own. But don't miss the fact that there's familial language of verse 8. where We have fathers and mothers and sons, and so there's this context of family that's also present here. And so it helps us to recognize that, that wisdom is best taught and caught in the context of community. As Christians, we're reading this, and we can't help but see the family that's here. We can't help but recognize that, that the church is an extension of, of God's good design of the family. And so we understand that in terms of wisdom, let's be honest, some of us have been underparented. And we didn't receive all the wisdom from our parents that, that we needed. That's why the church is so absolutely important. Because the church is supposed to be a community of people who are somewhere along the pathway of wisdom. Which means in a, in a gathered assembly like this that there ought to be a, a plethora of wisdom because it's made up of all of the different experiences, all the different journeys. Everybody's been on a different pathway and everybody has learned different things along the pathway. And when you combine all that knowledge into one family, then, then the next generation ought to be the recipient of all of that wisdom and they ought to do better than we did. Right? Isn't that how it's supposed to work in theory? Where, where our children shouldn't repeat our mistakes and our children shouldn't have to learn the lessons that we've already learned. If we're passing it on to the next generation, then, then, then our kids ought to do better. Our kids ought to walk straighter with the Lord. Isn't that how that's supposed to work? It's interesting that it's not working that way in this generation, which tells us that somewhere in the family we've, we've dropped that ball. That's okay. The family language here says that wisdom is best taught and caught in community, where the older men and the older women provide instruction and insight to the younger men and the younger, the younger women. We need to listen to the voices of wisdom that God has placed around us. I look around this room and I see so many people whose life experiences are so very different from my own. I'm foolish if I think I have learned everything and that I know everything, and so I desperately need to learn from those who've walked further down the path than me. And our children and grandchildren need desperately to learn from those who've walked further down the pathway of wisdom. So what's the effect 
of all of this wisdom, if we listen to the instruction of our, of our fathers and mothers, if we listen to the instruction of the gathered body, if we listen to the words that God has given us, is there an effect to implementing all of that wisdom? Well, actually there is. God says in verse 9 that, that it will make us attractive. And you say, hold on, preacher. God does miracles, but I don't know he can make so-and-so attractive. I promise you. He says that he makes us attractive. Look at what he says in verse 9. He says that all that instruction and teaching, he says, are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, before you go and, and maybe you're dragging your feet on putting the Christmas decorations up, before you go home and put garland around your head as you get ready to put them in the box, understand what's, what he's saying here. Uh, what sort of strange decor is this where you're wearing garland and pendants? Is this some sort of weird religio Christmas tree? What is this? Well, of course, these are metaphors. It's not literally talking about garland. The graceful garland that is being talked about here is something like a victory wreath, something that you would wear as a, as a prize of, of, of victory. Over in chapter 4, verse 9 of the book of Proverbs, the graceful garland is used in parallel with a beautiful crown. And so this is pointing to something that is given to someone as a, as a symbol of, of glory. The pendant is to wisdom what the gold medal is to the Olympian. It's a mark of prestige, a, an insignia of victory. And so when we say wisdom will make us attractive, I'm not talking about the kind of attractive that you get when you look in the mirror. Wisdom's not like some sort of spiritual Botox treatment or a day at the spiritual, spiritual spa. Wisdom is attractive in that it is compelling to others. Wisdom is attractive in that it is compelling to others. Just consider Yoda. Yoda, not yoga. Make sure you get that right. Yoda, the little green dude from Star Wars who talks backwards. You know, Yoda, not baby Yoda, not the one everybody is fascinated with today, but, but Yoda, the, the original Jedi master. He is recognized in Star Wars as one of the wisest creatures in George Lucas's fictional galaxy. Now, he's not pretty. Matter of fact, he's downright ugly. Baby Yoda's cute. Master Yoda, he's not, he's not cute at all. He's, he's ugly. If, if you ran into Yoda in a dark alley in the street somewhere, you would be, you'd be scared because he looks almost like a, like a little short troll, a little short monster. In spite of the fact that he's not pretty, that he's downright ugly, you know what? People care about what he thinks. People want to know what Yoda thinks. Why? Because he is He's wise. He's the wisest one around. So for us, we don't have a Master Yoda. We do have King Solomon. In the beginning of his reign, he certainly feared God. But 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34 says something very important about King Solomon's wisdom. We're told there in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 34, and the people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And from all the kings of the earth, who had heard of his wisdom. People wanted to be around King Solomon. People wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They wanted to learn from him. Now again, we don't know what Solomon looked like. I'm sure he didn't look like Master Yoda. But we know that people wanted to be in his presence not because of his looks, but because of his wisdom. He, he wasn't recognized like his brother Absalom for his rugged good looks. He was known 
for his wisdom. Solomon, when he spoke, he spoke with life and he spoke with truth and kings wanted to hear from him. People wanted to know what he had to say. He was known for his wisdom. It was attractive to the world around him. You know, there's always going to be enemies of the church. There's always going to be enemies of the gospel, enemies of the Lord. But if we lack wisdom, we are not making any headway whatsoever into turning those enemies into friends. Just consider today the profound lack of wisdom that we see from those who claim to be followers of Christ. Our news media is filled with it. Consider like Westboro Baptist Church. They claim to be Christians, yet how do they manifest their Christian faith? By protesting uh, military funerals. You think about the, the Capitol Hill protesters who were waving Christian flags and crosses, not as a prophetic witness against those who were engaging in the behavior, but right in the middle of the mayhem. In our, where we used to live, there was a church that would meet out in front of the Walmart with signs. And on the signs read all sorts of, of terrible statements, the, the mildest of which that I can say in a public forum was that God hates queers. And they would stand on the side of the road with these signs that were declaring these, these terrible things. And, and I can assure you of this, they weren't making many friends. They, they weren't compelling people to, to come and, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not for a second suggesting that we as Christians compromise our virtues or embrace the sinful deviances that are so prevalent in our world today. I'm not for a second suggesting that we, we turn our back on sin and we embrace it. But I really do believe this. You can have moral integrity without impugning the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe you can stand for righteousness, but also stand and, and point people to the Lord Jesus Christ instead of turning them away from Him. That's where wisdom comes in. Today is recognized as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday all across the country. Churches all across the country today will celebrate the wonderful gift that God has given us in the gift of life, creating life in the image and likeness of God. You know, here in Chattanooga, we have a wonderful pregnancy resource center. It's Interestingly, it's named Choices, which I think is, uh, is certainly a, a compelling name for a pregnancy resource center. At those centers like Choices, if you've ever had the opportunity to, uh, to, to get to know what happens there, you have all these wonderful caring nurses and counselors who absolutely hate abortion who absolutely hate the fact that we live in this world where it's okay to kill unborn lives. They hate it, but they work hard with people each and every single day that they go to work to help people choose life. Believe it or not, people go to choices because they think they're walking somewhere where they might can find uh, an easy ticket to abortion, but in fact they find people who love life. But what I found is that as I've talked with these people and had the opportunity to serve with other pregnancy resource centers, they do their job in wisdom. Because what they have to offer is not death and, and, and the, 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 the awful scourge of abortion. What they have to offer is absolutely quite attractive. It isn't hate or judgmentalism. It's love and compassion. It's not a bunch of rules of thou shall and thou shalt not. It's grace. It's forgiveness. It's healing. It's wisdom. And what you find when you see that is it's actually, it's actually quite beautiful and quite compelling.
You know, if we boil our faith down to the basics of simply following rules, it's not very pretty. If all our faith is is about checking the boxes, have I done all the things that I'm supposed to do, it's not very pretty, it's not very attractive, it's not very compelling. Wisdom, however, gives us the garland and the pendant. Wisdom takes us beyond the misery of rules and takes us into a growing, dynamic relationship with the Lord. But there is an alternative. Secondly, wisdom gives us this warning. You know, Proverbs remind us of something profound. Y'all ready for this? Write this one down. It's not on the screen. Sinners are going to sin. Okay? Sinners are going to sin. That, that's, that's a quote to take, take with you. Sinners are going to sin. And now, in Proverbs, it says, talks about sinners. It warns about sinners there in verse 10. Look at what he says here. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Now, this isn't talking about your average, everyday sinner. Because if so, all of us would qualify. It's talking about all of us. That's not what this is dealing with here. The sinners that are alluded to here in verse 10 are those who have devoted themselves to go down the pathway of folly. They're, they're, fully, they're, they're on the way. They're going on that journey. We might even call them professional sinners. I guess we could call all of us professional sinners. They represent the position that is the opposite of wisdom. They don't fear the Lord, they don't see Him as significant, and they openly mock Him. And we acknowledge that our world is full of those sorts of folks. Uh, there's almost a criminal element to their thinking. We see here in Proverbs that they have a thirst for violence, a, a thirst for dishonest gain. And the wisdom of the Father here is that if they try to entice you, you must not consent. What we really need to understand, though, is even though Proverbs says, if they try to entice you, I think we all understand that it's not a matter of if, but when. We understand it's not an if situation, it's a when situation. We know that it's likely going to happen. If you remember back to the first sermon in Proverbs, we know that wisdom has built her house, and she is asking the simple to enter in. That's those who haven't decided yet. Folly has also built her house, and she's also asking them to enter in. If you haven't been enticed by sinners in the world, then you've really not lived all that long. Ignoring the warning here doesn't require that we go join a, a criminal gang. Verse 19 expands it. He walks through talking about the bloodthirsty thug, but he talks about in verse 19 anybody who is greedy for unjust gain. That doesn't just point to financial gain. This means that they're everything from the schoolyard bully or the internet troll who builds himself up by stealing the dignity of others. Uh, to white-collar criminals who, who steal that which is, has value. It's everyone from the communist dictator to the violent activist who is vandalizing our communities. It's everyone from the identity thief even to the, diverse, or the divisive church member who's wanting to tear apart the people of God. The ultimate unanticipated consequence of going after the folly of sinners, however, is found in verse 18. They think they're going after innocent blood, but ultimately they're taking their own blood because the pathway of folly always ends up in destruction. Now we see this. We see criminal activity that, that invariably fails. We see that it invariably ends up. Somebody starts, starts down the pathway of drug addiction and it never ends well. Somebody starts down this pathway or that pathway and it never goes well unless something dramatic happens and takes them off that pathway. 
And even if it doesn't end in destruction in this life, the pathway of follies will ultimately end in destruction in the next. And so there's a warning here. But finally, there's also a promise. There's a promise of wisdom here. You see, since God is addressing us as children, there's some, there's some things that we now need to understand as his children. As, as Christians, we understand that the only way we become children of God is through the gospel. And the only way we make peace with God is by first recognizing that God has made peace with us. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, that we should let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We know God is nothing like the foolish person alluded to here in Proverbs. He's not lying in wait, looking to ambush us. No, instead God is, is rooting for us. He is working all things together for our good, even when you don't see how. And if you aren't yet a Christian, God wants you to enter into that doorway of wisdom so that then you can begin down that pathway of wisdom. And for those who are around you who are not dead set against the things of God, if you pursue wisdom, then God says you are going to have the garland and the pendant. That you'll become an attractant to them. I experienced this yesterday in, in, a, in a different way. I, I dropped a, a jar in my garage. I was working in the garage, and it, this jar was full of random screws. I, I, you know, I have a screw, and I throw it in a jar. You know, and, and I knocked this jar off the counter, and it smashed onto the, onto the garage floor. And so I'm looking at this. Uh, this I've got a mess on my hands now. It's, uh, I've got a broken glass jar scattered with, with all these different screws and bolts and everything that was in there. And so I'm looking at this mess, and I'm thinking how in the world do I clean this up so that I, I can salvage the screws and throw away the glass? And I looked over against the wall, and I had one of those yard magnets, you know, that they used to pick up roofing nails and things. And so I said, well, this will work. And so I get that yard magnet, and I start to roll it over the mess that's in the floor. And after a couple of passes, what do you think happened? Well, I had all the screws removed from all the glass. And so I was able to take the screws and put them in a different place, but then I was able to to sweep up all of the broken glass. We think about wisdom in the same sense. Wisdom functions as that spiritual magnet, where for, for, for those who, who aren't dead set against the things of God, the, the wise Christian is able to look at that person and provide a compelling reason to, to follow Christ. We walk in wisdom. We walk in integrity. Wisdom functions like that spiritual magnet. Consider this very simple fact. People aren't one to Christ because of the offer of rules. Instead, they're one to Christ because of the beauty of the gospel. You know, any evangelism that you've ever been trained in, any track that you've ever given out, you'll notice that, that those things never start with, here are all the things that you're supposed to do. It never starts with, with uh, you know, don't drink, don't chew, don't date girls that do. Right? It never begins with, with a list of all the things that you're not supposed to do. Instead, I think of Bill Bright's old track, the, the Four Spiritual Laws. The very first thing in Bill Bright's old Four Spiritual Laws track was this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for you. Again, people have criticized and picked that apart. But, but nothing ever starts with, with, here's all the things that you're supposed to do. You've got to go to church on Sunday. You've got to give 10% of your income. You've got to, to, uh, to do this, that, and the other. 
it never starts that way. Instead, it starts with this, this recognition of, of our problem and God's gracious way to solve our problem. That's, that's how people are one. If, if you walked out with your, with your track that said, here's all the rules of Christianity and started passing it out, man, nobody wants that. Nobody's going to care. But if you walk out and start talking to people and tell you about how the gospel has changed you, how the gospel's made you a better person, how Christ is in you and is working in you and through you to do great and awesome things, if you go and approach people with that incredible story, that incredible testimony, guess what you find yourself being? An attractant. An attractant. You see, the, the fundamental problem with us is that we really do have a hard time following the rules. We really do have a hard time following the rules. If I were to, uh, we, could, we could test this very easily right now. If I were to, to look at you and say, say don't, I shouldn't do this because of a pandemic, so, so seriously, y'all don't follow the rules. But if I say don't scratch your nose, you can't scratch your nose. Everyone in the room is going to have this compelling urge to suddenly reach up and, and scratch their nose. If you've got a mask on, you can probably go ahead and twitch with it. But, but everyone's going to have this compelling... It's like, oh, yawn. nobody yawn. Nobody do it. And you're going to find yourself with this compelling urge to, to, to yawn. And, and those are not even moral commands. Those are simple, simple you know, tricks of the mind. We're really not good at following the rules. If the speed limit says 55, you ask, how far can I go before I get a ticket? Can I go 60? Can I go 65? If the, if the rule says, uh, says don't trespass, well, well was, I, was I really trespassing? I don't know that I was trespassing. We're not good at following the rules. And if all we do is present people with a list of rules, people are immediately going to say, I don't like following the rules. That's not what the gospel actually is. There will be those who reject the offer of the gospel. According to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18, there will be some who even mock it as foolishness. But the wisdom of the cross, the attractiveness of the cross, is simply this. We don't follow rules because we're working to earn God's favor. We keep the rules because he's already shown us his favor. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were still in our mess, when we were still in our sin, when we were still in our folly and error, Jesus took every step necessary to secure our salvation. He took every step necessary to make sure that everything was good on our part so that all we have to do is receive the offer that he's extended to us. All we have to do is, is, is open the door, per se. He's knocking at the door. He's waiting for us. And all we have to do is open the door and receive the gift that he has given to us. When you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. However, if you are a Christian today and you're walking in wisdom, I would ask you to consider how attractive is your Christian faith to the outsider. Again, I'm not talking about the person who hates God, who hates everything about, about the gospel, who, who doesn't. I'm talking about the, the, the person who's, who's undecided, not the, not the hostile God-hater. That's, that's a different animal there. 
But to that person who's, who's uncommitted, undecided, how compelling is your Christian faith to the average pagan? Are you a winsome follower of Jesus? Are you an angry follower of Jesus? Are you walking in wisdom in such a way that you're compelling people to see the Jesus that is in you as a loving Savior who is, easy to re- who is eager to rescue? Or is the Jesus people see in you an angry judge who is ready to condemn? What Jesus are you conveying to the world around us? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 reminds us of this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of the visitation. In other words, what he's saying here is, is live your life in such a way that even if they don't want to follow your Christian faith, they can't, they can't judge you as being a, a hypocrite or a, a terrible person. Live your life in such a way that even if they don't follow Christ, they see you as reasonable, as kind, as honorable, as just, as loving, as gracious. That even if they don't follow the gospel, no accusations they make against you can stick. Because you live in your life in such a way, in wisdom, so that you are attractive to the outsider. You see, if we truly walk in wisdom, then the world around us will see Jesus in us, and they will know that the Christ in us is the hope of the world. Would you pray with me, please? God, I'm grateful for... grateful for this call of wisdom, this pathway that you have set before us. Lord, I would pray that we would heed the instructions of our Father, that we would listen to the counsel of our church, and that there would be just an overflow of wisdom from, from even within our midst. And I pray, God, that our expression of our Christian faith might be the true expression of of a winsome faith in Christ that is compelling, that is attractive, that that for the uncommitted non-believer out there, that they would see Jesus in us, that they would see the grace of God abound in our lives. So God, help us to not be angry, miserable followers of Christ. But Lord, just, just as we sang earlier, that we have victory in Jesus, that is something to be excited about, something that is, that is compelling. That offer is extended to, to all, and it is a, such an amazing offer. So God, grant us wisdom. If we've not yet begun our journey of wisdom, that we would receive the gift of salvation and that we would begin today. And for those of us who are in Christ today, help us to live our lives in such a way that walking with Jesus is an attractive offer to any who are on the outside. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.